was Luke Jewish? And does the gospel of Luke affirm or deny the ongoing role of the Torah, the Jewish people, and the city of Jerusalem in God's redemptive plan? We'll be discussing those questions and more today with Messianic Jewish Rabbi Dr. Mark Kinzer. Messiah Podcast is brought to you by Messiah Magazine, a free publication available in print or online at messiahmagazine.org. Put your hand in mine together. We will walk in harmony. Let me introduce you to my teacher, the rabbi from the Galilee. Welcome to Messiah Podcast, where Jesus is Jewish and that changes everything. My name is Ryan. And I am Damien. Hey, Damien, I am very happy and thankful uh, to report that Reuben uh, is doing much better. And of course, I'm speaking of Reuben Ramos, who is my regular co-host here on Messiah Podcast. So Reuben's going to be back in the co-pilot seat for the next episode. Uh, but hey, it's always good to be tag teaming uh, with you and uh, especially for this episode of Messiah Podcast. I'm especially excited to be here for this one with Dr. Kinzer. Thankful for the miraculous healing that uh, Ruben has yes. has um, experienced. Um, I just also it's a good time to just lift up a word of prayer for uh, God's continued healing. There are so many that are we're sort of interacting with and seeing who are ill, and so we're certainly praying at this time for all those who are listening and that God is going to continue to do a healing across the world. We need it right now. That's for sure. So yeah, for sure. No doubt. No doubt. Hey, Damien. So uh, for the past year, uh, you and I have been very focused on the gospels as we've been uh, going through along with our Torah clubs, the Jesus, my rabbi study. And uh, one of the main ideas of Torah club is that the Jewish context is a key component to understanding the gospels. And, uh, that certainly is the case with the Gospel of Luke. So I am really looking forward to our conversation today with uh, Dr. Mark Kinzer, uh, as he has written extensively on the Jewishness of both the Gospel of Luke and Luke's sequel, the Book of Acts. Yeah, and and I've had the pleasure of hearing Dr. Kinzer teach and talk many, many times, and he's done so much great work in the in the world of Messianic Judaism and particularly in this area. But what I really love and what I think is maybe most important, or at least at the top, is Dr. in, in, in Dr. Kinzer's work is his, he not only affirms Luke's Jewishness, the Jewish context of Luke, I should say, but he also uh, affirms a positive view for Luke of the Torah, the Jewish people, Jerusalem. And there are a lot of Bible teachers I know who, who do affirm the importance of the Jewish context of the Gospels and Acts. But at the same time, there's a certain um, version that's perpetuated that accents or highlights a continuing replacement theology perspective. And that's, yeah, you know. no doubt. I think that's a really, really good point. And we're going to, that's going to be, you know, part of the conversation. So before we welcome Mark Kinzer, uh, let's tell our audience a little bit about him. Uh, you and I have known uh, Dr. Kinzer for a while, but some in our audience may not be familiar with him. So tell us a little bit about him. My pleasure. Dr. Kinzer is unquestionably one of the top Messianic Jewish theologians in the world today. He's the Rabbi Emeritus of Zerah Avraham Congregation in Ann Arbor, Michigan. 
He's also the president emeritus of the Messianic Jewish Theological Institute. He has written numerous books, including the very influential post-missionary Messianic Judaism. One of the most important, I would, I would suggest, most important Messianic Jewish theolo theology books that we have from the past 30 years. And some of his more recent work includes a focus on Luke, which we're excited to learn about today. The book of Acts, including his 2018 book, Jerusalem Crucified, Jerusalem Risen. And he's recently co-authored a book with Rabbi Russ Resnick uh, called Besora, which is a more accessible book covering the same general content as Jerusalem Crucified, Jerusalem Risen. Risen, I'm sorry. So Dr. Kinzer certainly has the authority to speak with us on the book of Luke today. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So, uh, you know, I also want to add that I've uh, personally uh, witnessed uh, the impact that Mark Kinzer has had uh, not only as a scholar, but really as a great ambassador uh, for Messianic Judaism yep. and Messianic Jewish teaching. I am um, in, in one, one of many ways uh, that I can think of is that uh, every year uh, I attend the Society of Biblical Literature as a representative for First Fruit Design. And so for those who aren't familiar with that uh, entity, uh, it's typically known by its acronym SBL, Society of Biblical Literature. So it's an international gathering of scholars from around the world. And I can tell you just from personal observation that nobody has done more than uh, Dr. Mark Kinzer to raise the awareness among scholars and academics about the importance of Messianic Jewish theology and Messianic Jewish presence in the world today. Uh, Rabbi Kinzer's uh, work has also had an enormous influence on First Fruits of Zion. His yes. book, Post-Missionary Messianic Judaism, was really foundational uh, in our theological development, and it uh, really helped us shape our own articulation of distinction theology. Yeah, and one of my one of my personal highlights, not just anyone signs up for a debate with N.T. Wright. Um, <laughs> yeah. We had the we had the privilege of attending Dr. Kenzer's discussion. We we'll call it a discussion, not a debate, but discussion <laughs> with uh, N.T. Wright on the meaning of Israel at Sanford University back in 2019. And I was I just sat there beaming in the seats. I was honored to have him as our sort of our superhero for Messianic Judaism there and 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 in so many other areas that you mentioned of of theological discourse around the world. He, to me, is a modern-day Messianic Jewish luminary. So yep. I'm thankful he's with us today. Yeah, agreed on all points. Yeah, it was a great night to be there yep. at, uh, at yep. Sanford for that uh, that discussion. Uh, and so I would right. encourage our actually our audience to, to Google that N.T. Wright and uh, Mark Kinzer uh, debate. That is, that is in a very, that was, a, I would say, a historic uh, night yeah. uh, that we got to be there in person for. All right. So, hey, let's go ahead and let's begin our discussion with Rabbi Dr. Mark Kinzer. Let's do it. If you want to know the Jewish Jesus, don't miss out on a free subscription to Messiah Magazine, where you'll discover his life and teaching, learn about the biblical festivals, and get connected with Israel. Subscribe for free at messiahmagazine.org. Messiah Magazine is a free, donation-supported quarterly publication of First Fruits of Zion. Hey, 
Hey, Dr. Kinzer, it's great to have you. Welcome to Messiah Podcast. It's marvelous to be with you, Ryan, Damien. Well, uh, there, there are, there's a very long list of things that I could pick your brain about today. We could do maybe a four or five hour podcast, but we'll keep this one reasonable. We'll bring them um, back. How about that? We'll bring, yeah, we'll bring you back that. rather than do that. We, uh, <laughs> so let me, let me focus on my brain picking with Dr. Kinzer today on Luke, but I want to start that with a discussion on the man, Luke, his background. And most interpreters assume that he was not Jewish. So let's start right there. And just a couple of questions all embedded here in, in one big one. What's your take on that? Is it fair to have that take? Can a case be made that Luke was Jewish? And with all those things answered, how important is it that Luke's Jewish? In other words, how important is it to understand his identity in, in, in understanding the gospel and acts? Well, I think maybe the place to start is simply to ask, why is it that uh, historically Christian interpreters have assumed that uh, the author of Luke and Acts was not Jewish? Uh, really, the, the first reason is simply the name Luke and the figure of Luke. Uh, at some point in the second century, uh, these books were attributed uh, to uh, a figure by the name of Luke who is referred to by uh, Paul in Paul's letters uh, three times in Colossians, 2 Timothy, and, and Philemon. And um, in the Colossians text, uh, it refers to Luke as a beloved physician and implies uh, from context that Luke is not Jewish. So as soon as these books were identified with the figure of Luke, it was then assumed the author is not Jewish. Um, but the fact is there, there is nothing in these two books that actually identifies the author as Luke. Uh, the, the name of the author is not there. Uh, it's only added uh, at a later time. Um, and we have no really good reason um, to assume that the author is this figure referred to by Paul um, in Colossians. So I think we can remove that reason um, from the table. Uh, there's a, a second reason why uh, historically many Christians have thought the author was not Jewish. And that's simply from the the style, the nature of the book itself. Um, the Greek is, is excellent Greek. It's much better than the Greek of the other gospels. Um, and the style in which it's written is the style of Greco-Roman historiography, of, of a kind of book written that a Greco-Roman writer would, would write um, that would be uh, talking about the the history of this Jesus movement, um, and uh, but this is really not a very good reason either, because there were many Jewish writers who wrote in the same style. In fact, maybe the closest uh, book stylistically to uh, Luke and Acts is are the the writings of Josephus, uh, and Josephus is a Jewish historian. There were many Jews who could write. 
uh, in excellent uh, Greek who were born and raised in the diaspora and educated um, in Greek literature, Greco-Roman literature and culture. Um, so we can remove that reason from the table uh, as well. Really, the the final reason and the most important one is the way the book was read. The read the content of the book was interpreted in a way that uh, saw the Jewish people as no longer the center of God's purposes um, and saw the church as a, a replacement for uh, for Israel. Saw the um, uh, really everything laying the groundwork for the mission of Paul, which is the climax of the story and brings everything to its uh, destined uh, completion. And so because of that way of reading the book, it was assumed, well, of course, the author must be a Gentile because the perspective, the theological perspective is the theological perspective of, of, a, of a, a Gentile uh, Christian. Um, and uh, I think my, the purpose of, of my writings on Luke and Acts uh, in the last few years has been to show that that doesn't work either because the content of, the, of those books is, uh, is, is, is just as Israel-centered and just as Torah-centered and Jerusalem-centered as any of the other books um, in, uh, in Berit Chadashah and, and maybe more so. Um, so that reason doesn't work either. Um, and therefore, what we're left with is more the question, why should we assume that the author is not Jewish? Mm -hmm. uh, I think the burden of proof should be on those who would say that the author is not Jewish. That doesn't mean we know the author was Jewish. Sure. It, yeah. it, it simply yeah. means that we don't know for sure one way or the other, but that the content is fully and, and style is fully consistent with with a Jewish authorship. As for what difference does it make, in some ways, um, it doesn't really make a, a great deal of difference. This the author is either a Jew or a proselyte, a Gentile who has become a Jew and has thoroughly taken on a Jewish life and identity, uh, or a God fearer who is so entered into the, the the Jewish world and the Jewish mentality that he can write a book which is a thoroughly Jewish book. Uh -huh. And so, um, any way you look, the crucial thing is to recognize that the book itself is a Jewish book, whether or not the author um, has is a uh, born a Jew, uh, circumcised uh, as an adult, and converted to uh, to Judaism, or a Gentile who simply has lived his adult life primarily within the Jewish orbit. So what I hear you saying is that maybe, you know, the burden of proof should be on proving that he's a Gentile as opposed to, you know, the other way around, you know, um, you know, we're trying to make a case that maybe he, I mean, I, I know I hear what you're saying and that it's not a, we can't, it's not a decisive issue. Um, and this is not a hill worth dying on <clears throat> is, is what I feel like I hear you saying as well. Uh, but based on the contents of the book and, and other factors, you know, I, that, that makes sense that, uh, maybe we should just assume he was Jewish until, uh, until shown otherwise, uh, is just a different way to, to, to approach it. Precisely. Got it. Precisely. Jewish until proven otherwise. <laughs> Jewish until proven otherwise, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, one can say, how do we know that the author of Mark or the author of Matthew um, are are Jewish because we don't really know who those authors are any more than we know who the author 
uh, of, of Luke is. We know a little more about John and not that we, we know for sure that the author is named John, but it's attributed to a disciple who was with Yeshua and therefore um, we, we can we can be fairly confident that that author is Jewish, but we don't know for sure of Mark or Matthew. What we know is there's something about the content of the books and the way they're written that suggests they're written by Jews. Yeah, um, yeah. And I would say the same thing is true for Luke and that for all of those, we should start by assuming um, the author is Jewish uh, unless more evidence comes to the fore that uh, would would contradict that. And to me, that highlights the importance of your work and that what you're seeking to do, at least on one level, is to remove the supersessionist framework that is typically brought to Luke and Acts. And when that is removed and we look at this, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts as you know, really Jewish positive literature, uh, you know, within the scriptures, then then it makes uh you know, it makes it less uh, I guess less easy to assume that um you know, uh, he was, he was not a Jewish writer. So yeah, well, thank you, Mark, for, for, for clarifying that and giving your thoughts. Torah Club is the world's fastest growing Messianic Jewish Bible study. You can start or join a club today at TorahClub.org. Know Jesus better through an in-depth small group Bible study and fellowship with other like-minded disciples. Start a club or join a club at TorahClub.org. Torah Club is where disciples learn. There are not many, if, if any, uh, interpreters that would argue against the importance of the Jewish context of the Gospels and the Book of Acts. Um, you know, and pretty much any commentary on some level is going to acknowledge and emphasize that. However, we want to nuance this because because this is I think this is a very important point. Many interpreters, while they'll acknowledge the Jewish background of uh, these works, they still understand Luke in a way that perpetuates replacements, replacement theology and supersessionism. And we're using those terms interchangeably here. So, you know, we, we have some specific questions about that point, but I want to start broad. So my question is, how does the typical way uh, of understanding Luke's gospel and Acts affirm that the church has replaced the Jewish people. That's the typical way. How does that work? Yes. Well, uh, there are a couple of uh, elements of it. And uh, one focuses really on the, the, the geography of the books. Uh, and uh, another really has to deal with, um, with the, its approach to the Torah, and maybe a, a final one about the the role of Paul. Um, the first on the geography, you know, that the, these books are um, more centered on Jerusalem than any other books in uh, in Brit Hadashah and the Apostolic Writings. Um, but uh, the way the the Acts of the Apostles is set up is it starts in Jerusalem, and then it radiates outwards. Uh, you know, going into Asia Minor, eventually uh, ending up in Europe. And interpreters have often seen this geographical structure as uh, hinted at in the beginning uh, of, of Acts when Yeshua is uh, speaking to, uh, to the 12 or to, or to the 11 and saying, uh, you know, that the, speaking about taking the, 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 the good news from Jerusalem to Judea, um, and to the ends of the earth. And 
So this geographical structure has been interpreted as a statement about the good news. It originates with the Jewish people. It has Jewish roots, but ultimately it's about the salvation of the world in a way that in in a sense um, no longer gives any kind of special role or place to, um, to the Jewish people. In fact, you end up in a sense with a new capital. You know, it's from Jerusalem to Rome. Rome, the capital of the Gentile world, is now in a sense the capital of the followers uh, of of Yeshua. And so I imagine this this idea of like taking off out of Jerusalem. It's in the rearview mirror, and we never looked back. We left all that behind, and we headed for new new terrain. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so there's the sense of, yes, that we respect, we honor our past, but it's our past. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the, the, the present and the future is, uh, is, a, is fundamentally one in which the, the Jewish people no longer have a particular, a special role in, in the midst of the people of God. Um, the same type of uh, perspective shows up in the way in which uh, Luke's approach to Torah has been, uh, has been interpreted. Um, and that shows up especially, I would say, in um, this all decisive chapter in the book of Acts, which is chapter 15, um, describing the Jerusalem Council. The Jerusalem Council was focused on this question of what do we do with these Gentiles who've come to believe uh, it, that Yeshua is the the Messiah of Israel. Do they have to become Jews, uh, and do they have to be circumcised, the men, um, and take on the, all of the requirements of the Torah that would apply uh, to Jews? And, um, and you know, Acts fifteen um, comes up with the decision uh, that that's not the case. Um, that Gentiles are Gentile males are not required to be circumcised. That uh, Gentile believers in Yeshua are not simply uh, being asked to become uh, to become Jews. But the way in which this has been interpreted by Christian interpreters is um, as uh, basically the 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 good news has gone forth that the Torah is no longer essential. It's no longer uh, applicable. The very fact that it's not being imposed, quote unquote, uh, upon uh, the 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 non-Jewish uh, believers is this indication that it it is no longer uh, authoritative um, in in any way. And in fact, um, you know, there, the, the the decree that is issued by the apostles here is that a few things are still required. You know, not eating. A meat offered to idols, um, not consuming uh, b- a b- a blood, uh, and certain rules related to sexual morality. Um, you know that these these things are still required. Well, that's interpreted by the by uh, uh, Christian commentators of the past as a kind of concession to uh, Jewish sensitivities. You know that the Jewish members of the community they they have some of these uh, hangups, uh, and in order to have a community which is um, uh, you know and shows mutual love, um, Gentiles should be uh, aware of those concerns and not do things that are too hard for the, for our Jewish brothers and sisters until they get over their hangups and their scruples. Yeah. Um, 
that's the way uh, Acts 15 was historically um, interpreted. Um, and, you know, finally, the, the role of Paul becomes really central here, you know, because the book of Acts, it, it starts off the opening half of the book is really about Peter and, and the, the community of Jerusalem and its expansion in the midst of the Jewish world. But then in the, uh, in the second half of the book, the figure of Paul becomes the, the, the crucial character. And uh, really from uh, chapter 13 on, it's really about the work, um, the work of Paul. And so um, the way this was interpreted was in line with uh, the geographical uh, interpretation and the Torah interpretation. You know, the, the, the Jewish, the apostles who were reaching out to the Jewish world, um, basically they, they fail. Huh. Um, and Paul is the one who succeeds. And Paul is the future of the church, which is this church of the Gentiles. And that's an indication, again, the Jewish people are the past and yeah. the Gentiles, the nations of the world, um, are the future, and this Gentile church um, that emerges is simply the the replacement, um, both for the people of Israel and, in a sense, also for this church of uh, of Jerusalem, the Jewish church that had been led by Peter, but also by uh, James, the the brother of Yeshua. That's such a that's such a keen observation, um, in the, and and one that so few people. Would, would would really make I mean it's just sort of embedded and implicit in there I want to I want to jump to uh, a different and quite important topic about the gospel the gospel message the quote good news in Luke's view you you have a lot of great things to say in in your books about Luke's version or his view of the gospel but Let's talk about that term for one second, because in modern times, when we talk about the gospel, people are typically referring to a message which centers pretty much solely on personal salvation. In other words, we say sharing the gospel is typically a reference to how one can receive eternal life through Jesus. And some of our listeners might be saying right now, and... That is the gospel, isn't it? But in, in this, is this the sense in which Luke used the term gospel? Or, or better, if not, how how did he use it? What, what, what was the gospel to Luke? Yes. Well, uh, yeah, I think uh, reading these two books uh, can give a, a remarkably different perspective yeah. uh, on what the gospel actually is is mm. and this is why uh rabbi russ and i entitled um our um, our most recent book uh besora um because that's the the hebrew word for uh the, for the the good news mm -hmm. the, the, uh the gospel and what we're we're trying to to argue that in luke and acts we get a very different picture of what the gospel actually is um i think that um, that Luke is particularly conscious of the uh, the origins of this term in uh, the prophets, particularly in the prophet Isaiah. 
Uh, and one of the places this shows up is um, in a text that's only found in the Gospel of Luke, uh, in Luke chapter 4, when um, Yeshua comes to his home synagogue uh, and uh, he reads the Haftorah, you know, he, and, and the text that he reads from is uh, Isaiah chapter 61, that the spirit uh, of Hashem is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor. Uh, and uh, and then it, that whole text goes on to to proclaim the the year of favor of our God, uh, which in Isaiah sixty one is this uh, proclamation of the Yovel, the Jubilee year, um, as a sign of God's redemptive purposes for people of Israel and the land of Israel. Uh, and uh, this uh, this term. Uh, Bisora in its verbal form, mivaser or, or, or mivaseret, is introduced at the very beginning of this whole uh, it, crucial unit of Isaiah, Isaiah 40 through 66. Uh, and in Isaiah 40, where, you know, which is this text that begins, comfort, comfort you, uh, my people, uh, it, it uh, speaks about the uh, herald of good tidings that is Jerusalem speaking the, the, the word of good news to uh, the whole land of Israel, saying that your God reigns, your God is coming to you. He's coming to you. And then similarly in Isaiah 52, it speaks about the, the, the feet of the one um, who brings good news to Zion, that your God reigns. And so Isaiah 40 through 66, in effect, is a message, is, is itself the prophetic picture of the good news. It's addressed to Israel in exile and saying uh, that the good news is God is bringing you back. He is restoring Jerusalem. Um, he is healing the broken hearts of Israel. Uh, and, and so when Yeshua appears in the way Luke describes him, Yeshua is bringing this good news message fundamentally of Isaiah 40 through 66, which is a message addressed primarily, first of all, to the, the Jewish people, corporately, to the people of Israel as a whole, about their life, their calling, their destiny, but in a way that then also has profound implications for all the nations of the world. And then I think this shows up in the way in which the good news gets proclaimed, actually, in the book of Acts. You know, when we look at Peter's sermons in Acts 2 and Acts 3, which are addressed to the Jewish people of Jerusalem, he is speaking to the whole people and he's saying, repent, um, receive uh, the Messiah whom God has sent to you that God may, uh, that he may return and in effect establish the kingdom uh, for, of, Israel, of Israel's, Israel's kingdom. Um, and then when we see Paul's kind of uh, initial speech, it's in a synagogue in, in Acts 13, and it's a very similar kind of message. Uh, it's good news for the Jewish people. And this is a message that also has implications for individuals. But when individuals are being brought into it, in a sense, in, an individual response to the message of Yeshua is bringing individuals into an experience in advance of that Work, profound work of of healing that God is bringing for the land of Israel, the people of Israel, and uh, 
ultimately for all the nations of the world through the land of Israel and and the people of Israel. And so, yes, the, the, the good news is about this individual response that all are called to make. But uh, when the good news is, is proclaimed to Jews in the book of Acts, it's addressed not just to individual Jews, it's addressed to the Jewish people pre, pr- primarily mm-hmm. because the Jewish people are not only an audience of the message, they are, they are uh, the ones whom the message is fundamentally about. It's the message of Isaiah 40 through 66. Dr. Kinj, I want to I want to zero just push <clears throat> push in on that a little bit further regarding Luke's view of the Jewish people because that opens up something I think very important. Um, and in your book, uh, Jerusalem Crucified, Jerusalem, Jerusalem Risen, uh, you noted that uh, most commentators uh, would agree that Luke would never entertain the idea that God's dealing with Israel could fail. But the, there's a catch to that. The catch is that many of those same interpreters uh, suggest that Luke believes that Israel has been reconstituted in the sense that the followers of Jesus are now the true Israel. In particular, uh, you interact and, and highlight the viewpoints. And of course, this came out in the debate with, uh, you know, but, but we're talking about N.T. Wright. Uh, and he uh, has been an advocate, I would say, for that general viewpoint. Um, so what are your thoughts on Luke's view? I want to hear a little more about Luke's view of the Jewish people. And I also would love for you to comment on the what the dangers are of the viewpoint that Israel has been reconstituted. Yes. Well, um, in, in one of the things that's very striking about Luke and Acts, when uh, when these books speak about um, Israel, it's actually fairly clear. They the term Israel is only applied to um to the jewish people there's a uh there's not a lot of ambiguity actually about it in in luke and acts and these days i would say most uh, commentators are actually coming to recognize that uh, there's another term for example the greek a greek term laos which is uh the the equivalent in the he- hebrew of am uh or meaning people and uh luke the this the author of these books is very consistent in the use of that term only to apply to the Jewish people, to Israel. Uh, and, um, in, and when speaking about God's purposes for the world, you get uh, in, in uh, these books uh, a clear sense of, of the people and the, and the nations. Um, Ha'am, the people, and Hagoyim, the nations of the world. One uh, classic illustration of this actually is in the prophetic words of, of Shimon, of, of, of Simeon, um, as he encounters the child Yeshua in the temple. And uh, he speaks about this child as, as light for the nations and glory for his people Israel. You know, it's this clear sense of the twofold mission, right. you might say, of Yeshua going to Israel and to the nations. And this is actually rather consistently, the, the consistent framework that you find um, in Luke and Acts. There's actually nothing in Luke and Acts that would imply that somehow or another, this, this fundamental distinction is, is obliterated or abolished somehow 
um, through um, the establishment uh, of the Yeshua community, or that somehow the Yeshua, uh, Yeshua community, consisting almost exclusively of Gentiles, somehow could could actually be Israel or um, or replace Israel. Um, and I, I think that um, this becomes particularly clear in you might call the eschatology of Luke, like the the author. By the way, I'm consistently using the term Luke the way most scholars do. It's simply a convenient term for the author of these books, um, as opposed to assuming, um, as, uh, as I said at the very beginning of this podcast, um, I'm not assuming that the author is the Luke that's uh, referred to in those three times in the letters uh, letters of Paul. But Got it. in terms of the eschatology of these books, uh, one of the arguments is really a central argument that um, is made both in, in my book, uh, Jerusalem Crucified, and in the, the newer book um, with, with Rabbi Russ, uh, Bissorah, uh, is that the, uh, the coming, the second coming of Yeshua is actually is viewed by the, this author as contingent upon the response of the Jewish people to the message. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's different than saying like, you know, you, you have many Christians who say before the end, before the second coming, the, the Jewish people will repent. It's simply part of a scenario, you know, that a set of events will happen, there'll be persecution, the, the Jews, um, there's some kind of Jewish response that's positive, and then the, the, the end comes. But that's not, the, the, the way Luke is presenting it is more like um, the, the unfolding, the final coming of the kingdom is dependent upon this response of Israel, which is extraordinary and implies that this people is still central to God's purpose and God's plan, um, even in the era, era before, uh, you know, while it is hasn't accepted the, that Yeshua, uh, its Messiah, ha has has actually come. There's a lot more that could be said here, but I think that this uh, this eschatological vision um, is one that implies again that there is no way that the church has simply replaced Israel. Israel is still at the very heart of God's, uh, God's purposes in history. Mm -hmm. So that gives me a great uh, springboard because part of the repentance of Israel, according to Yeshua's gospel message was in essence, a return to Torah and that, and, and, and beginning to live as if the kingdom were among us. So, Torah for Luke could not have been something that was done away with in any sense. Tell us what your what is your perspective on Luke's view of Torah? What what summarize that for us? And did he affirm or discourage Torah observance for the followers of Yeshua? Well, I think one of the things that Luke has in common with um, all of the other. Uh, authors of uh, the the apostolic writings, and I th this clearly is something that goes back to Yeshua. That's simply uh, very much, I think, at the heart of Yeshua's teaching. Is um, in in some sense, Yeshua makes clear that the center, where the center of the Torah is, mm -hmm. that this he centers the Torah in these two great commandments of uh, of 
love of Hashem and uh, and love love of neighbor. Uh, and and Luke uh, is it very much goes in in this direction. He has a clear sense of what the 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 center, what the most important things are, and uh, and. The sense is really that the, the 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 call Yeshua's call to Israel is a call back to that faithfulness to that message. Um, I think one of the the great illustrations of this is actually uh, Yeshua's parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Uh, you know where um, the the Lazarus, this poor man, dies, and uh, the rich man at whose gates he had uh, sat uh, un, untended. Um, dies and and their destinies are are uh, of course uh, quite radically divergent and uh, the the rich man calls out to Abraham sending him to to, to send Lazarus to my uh, my relatives and my family uh, so that they would um, they would repent and not end up where where I'm where I am and uh, the answer of Abraham was they they have Moses and the prophets. Mm-hmm. Um, if they would listen to Moses and the prophets, uh, they um, th- th- they would be okay. If you had listened to Moses and the prophets, you would have been you, you would have been okay. Right. Um, and then of course you know uh, the rich man says, well if uh, but if if someone would come uh, risen from the dead. Then certainly, you know, they would listen in a way that they they don't they haven't listened to Moses and the prophets and right. you know and the, the the great line of the of the parables. Well, if they're not listening to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen to someone who's raised from the dead. Uh, right. And here, y- Yeshua yeah. is so clearly identifying his message with the the message of the Torah of 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 the Torah. It's it's identical mm-hmm. uh, in, in in effect uh, to it. Now. Uh, What's also clearer in some ways in Luke and Acts than maybe than uh, elsewhere, though, is a sense that the Torah is differentiated, that that the the Torah applies differently to different groups of people. And this is where I think seeing, um, understanding uh, Acts 15 is so crucial. Uh, You know, and I alluded earlier to this common traditional way of, of reading uh, Acts 15 and the Council of Jerusalem and the, the Apostolic Decree, uh, you know, as this uh, setting free of the gospel from the from the Torah uh, and as adopting a few customs uh, temporarily in order to accommodate the uh, the, the scruples of uh, of their Jewish brothers and sisters. And really, many commentators today are. Are totally rejecting that traditional way of reading Acts 15, and instead saying, "No, what Acts 15 is really doing is uh, referring back to the Torah itself, particularly to um, Leviticus chapters 17 and 18, where a distinction is being made between the 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 mitzvot, the commandments that apply uh, to uh, to Israel, and those commandments that apply." In a particular, also to the 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 strangers, the sojourners, the, the others who dwell in the midst of Israel, um, and uh, in in a sense, what uh, then l- the message of the of these books is um, is not that the Torah has been abolished, but instead the Torah applies differently um, to different categories of people, mm-hmm. and that again, Gentiles are not being called to become Jews, but they're called. To receive the wisdom that God has intended for them 
within um, with within uh, the the, to the Torah. Um, I mean, uh, one of the terms that I think is really is particular to Luke and to Acts, and is very important in, in this regard, is uh, a term that gets translated customs. Um, it's uh, this. It's a in in Greek. It's a term in the singular. It's it's ethos, the word from which we get the English word ethos or ethics, and and and, and uh, it, uh, it, it, it often Luke uh, the the Lucan books refer to the customs of the Jewish people, and we can think about them in kind of sort of anthropological terms of oh every people has their customs and you know customs are um, really can change and there's no big deal to it. But that's not the way Luke uses the term. Um, the term it, it means the national way of life of the Jewish people. And it's, it's his way of referring to those aspects of the Torah, which are particular to Jews and are given to uh, shape the distinctive pattern of life of the Jewish people as a people. Um, and uh, those are the the mitzvot, the commandments, which which may have wisdom to carry on for the nations of the world, but don't apply in the same way to uh, to Gentile believers in Yeshua, who now are connected to the Jewish people, but are um, are not are are not themselves Jews. So I think that this 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 overall picture that that becomes clear in Luke and Acts um, is is one in which. Um, the Torah uh, is still uh, uh, central to God's purposes. The coming of Yeshua is one in which there's a type of supplement that, that's brought to the Torah, but it's a type of supplement which reinforces the fundamental revelation and, and summons all the nations to discern within um, the, 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 the Torah God's wisdom for them. I love that. It, it resonates with a, with a first fruits of Zion uh mindset very much in the sense of, yes, Torah, Torah with distinction in a healthy and beautifully prophetic yeah. way. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I, I, you know, just, it's another reminder that I don't think we can overemphasize just how important Acts 15 mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and what was, what was happening there on the ground and the decisions that were being made. And, you know, in, in a sense, uh, Dr. King, do you think it's fair to say that even what was happening there, it was the whole intention was to protect Gentile identity, to protect the nations and, and so that they would have a, so it would be clear that they are an essential part of the kingdom as members of the nations because it's not the kingdom without them. Exactly. I mean, is that a fair way of putting it? Yeah. I think it's very fair. And I think this is uh, very much part of the, the kind of vision that emerges from uh, the book of Acts uh, and, and when we see it in relation yeah. to, uh, to the Gospel of Luke. Sign up to become an FFOZ friend today at ffoz.org slash friends and join First Fruits of Zion to restore the authentic faith and message of the Jewish Jesus. Centuries of misunderstanding about the Torah, the Jewish people, and the Jewishness of the New Testament obscured the real good news message of the kingdom. Today, a prophetic resurgence of faith is breaking out, and FFOZ friends are at the forefront of this restoration. Become a friend today at ffoz.org friends. So 
I have one more, I'm going to say, eh, probably a little more theological question. Then we're going to we're going to kind of bring this towards a close with asking you just a few things that are going on in modern times that I, I, I think will be important for our listeners to uh, to know about. But um, I want to ask you a little bit about the city of Jerusalem and how Luke, you know, his view. So in both Jerusalem crucified, Jerusalem risen and in your new book, Besora, uh, you emphasize Luke's view of Jerusalem. I mean, my goodness, it's the title, Jerusalem Crucified, Jerusalem Risen. Um, and and so you emphasize his view of Jerusalem and how that relates to Yeshua. So tell us about, and I know you wrote a whole book on this, so I would encourage people to get the book and read it, but uh, just briefly, just get things going a little bit here about the connection you see existing in Luke's writings between the Messiah and the Holy City. Yes, and and this takes us back also to the um, the the earlier question about gospel and and uh, bisora, um, and what the message of the gospel is in in the eyes of uh, of, of Luke. Because um, another way of t- of talking about what the gospel message is for Luke is the resurrection of Yeshua. You know, like he he focuses, of course, on the death and the resurrection of Yeshua. Um, but when the apostles go forth, they are, you know, they their fundamental message is that God has raised Yeshua from the dead. Mm. Uh, but for for Luke, what becomes clear is that the the resurrection of Yeshua and the death of Yeshua are bound up with uh, what happens to the city of Jerusalem. And what we, uh, what I try to bring out in Jerusalem Crucified, and what Rabbi Russ and I do in in this other book, Bissora, is to go through a set of texts in the Gospel of Luke, in which um, we get a picture of Yeshua and his coming death, as in a sense um, superimposed on the destruction of Jerusalem that that occurs forty years later. That there's this intimate connection. Um, and of course, the way Christians have interpreted this in the past is, yes, there's an intimate connection. The Jews killed Jesus and they're judged. And that's why Jerusalem was destroyed. And that's the end of the, the Jewish story. But Luke doesn't, doesn't quite see it that way. <laughs> Luke does recognize, as do all of, uh, all of the Gospels, that there is, of course, a judgment come, that comes upon Israel in, in 70. But for Luke... There is a sense that Yeshua is looking ahead to the destruction of Jerusalem, that he anticipates it, and that destruction is coming not just because his people have rejected him, but because they've rejected the prophets who've come before him and have not been observing the Torah in, in, in the way in which God has intended them uh, to do. And that in his death, he, in a sense, is participating in the suffering that is coming to come upon Israel as a whole. He, in a sense, in advance, is himself entering into the exile that the Jewish people will be enduring in 70 and after 70. In a sense, he is he is identifying himself with the city, that the city in, in all that it suffers 40 years later is what he himself is suffering um, uh, on the cross. Um, but then if that's the case, then how do we understand his resurrection? Okay. And here, again, the way the resurrection gets presented, uh, particularly in, in the book of Acts, when the apostles are bringing this gospel message out, is that Jesus is the first to rise from the dead. And that 
Um, this is the message of the hope of Israel. And we say, why is the resurrection of Jesus the hope of Israel? It's the hope of Israel because the resurrection of Jesus is bound up with the resurrection of Jerusalem. That just as Yeshua enters in his death into the suffering of Israel and in, in the destruction of Jerusalem and in Israel's exile. So the resurrection of Yeshua is the hope, it's the foretaste, it's the promise, it's the catalyst, it's the, the true underlying power that will bring about the restoration of, of the, the, the city of Jerusalem. And of course, the city of Jerusalem is the capital of the Jewish people. It represents the people as a whole and the land as a whole. And then finally, what we see here in, in, in Luke and Acts is that uh, I already mentioned earlier how in Luke and Acts, the return of Yeshua is bound up with the response of the Jewish people. But it's more particular than that. It's that the response is that the coming of Yeshua ultimately is bound up with the response of Jerusalem, the capital of the city. And uh, here, Palm Sunday is really critical, mm. you know, because, you know, Yeshua rides into the city and he's being hailed yeah. as the as the king. But what readers often don't pay attention to is he's being hailed as king by the crowds from Galilee who are accompanying him. He's not hailed as king by the crowds coming out from the city of Jerusalem to yeah. welcome him. Yeah. And that's why he stops on the way down and he he weeps. Otherwise, you, you, it seems a little incongruous, you know. Here he is. He's It's a big celebration. Everybody's mm -hmm. rejoicing. And he stops and weeps because Jerusalem is not responsive to him. Um, that's because the leaders of the city of Jerusalem, the people have not come out to welcome him. Uh, and uh, the whole story uh, of Luke's eschatology is basically this anticipation of the day when the when the elders of the Jewish people, when this, the, the, the leaders of, of Jerusalem and the people come out from the city gates to welcome him and receive him and celebrate along with these crowds that were coming from Galilee. And that's the this message of, of Acts chapter one, when Yeshua ascends and and the uh, the the angels say, why are you you looking here? The, the one who has gone in this way will return in the same way. And that means he'll re just as he he departed from the, the Mount of Olives, he will return to the Mount of Olives as Zechariah 14 um, proclaims and on his way back to the city of Jerusalem, where he will be welcomed by the city of, of Jerusalem. So I think this uh, the, we can you can see from this way of, of putting all together the message of Luke and Acts, the city of Jerusalem is absolutely central because it's bound up with the death and the resurrection of Yeshua and the gospel itself. Every time I get the opportunity to hear you teach or talk, I get, at, uh, well, a lot of insights, but just just gaining that perspective about the, the, the disconnect between Jerusalem welcoming him is something that I, I think very few people see. And I, I long for the days when your viewpoints on Luke and Acts, the very Jewish positive, and, and uh, can I just say it? my perception theologically accurate and very powerful i long for the day when those are majority opinions for now we still find ourselves sort of you know caught between two worlds and maybe in the minority among theologians but those times are changing 
thank God, you know, Baruch Hashem through your work. And you are involved in some very exciting modern developments in making this broader and more widely known in the world of scholarship and theology. Would you take just a second to tell us about a, a relatively new initiative, the Society for Post-Supersessionist Theology? That is a that is a, a mouthful, the Society for Post-Supersessionist Theology. And how is this group, what is it, how is it impacting the way Luke and Acts and the things that you've shared are understood and also the entire Bible? Yeah, so one of my goals over the last 10, 15 years has been uh, to, to try to bring these kinds of perspectives more broadly to the theological world. Uh, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, about 10 years ago, um, I met with uh, a group of scholars uh, over three years running at uh, Southern Methodist University. Um, and uh, we had a group that was called the Messianic Judaism and the Church uh, uh, Working Group. Um, and it brought together maybe 15 or 16 scholars, a number of our leading Messianic Jewish scholars, but then some very fine Christian scholars um, to talk about these kinds of questions. And in, in the midst of that, um, I, I, I was talking with one of these scholars who I think is really one of the most important Christian um, uh, theologians uh, that deals with these issues of supersessionism, replacement theology. His name is Kendall Solon. Uh, and he teaches, uh, he's a Methodist theologian who teaches at Emory. Um, and uh, Kendall and I were talking and um, we just came, we began to reflect on how um, it, we really, the time was ripe to bring together a, a network, the network of scholars who were seeing this, who were understanding how supersessionism had infected um, Christian theology. Um, at its at its heart, and uh, and so after a, a few few years, Kendall and I, and uh, and uh, also um, my close friend colleague um, uh, Dr. David Rudolph, um, we we started a uh, this organization, the Society for Post Supersessionist Theology, which um, does these sessions in connection with the Society of Biblical Literature, American Academy of Religion, and now also. Um, ha has done some uh, some uh, more webinar uh, format sessions, and it's really the response has been remarkable. Like we we've had uh, you know jam packed rooms um, for these sessions with with you know a couple hundred people present. Yeah, I've I've had the opportunity to go to attend yeah. the, the the two in person meetings that we've had. I think it's been two, um, Dr. Kinzer, and it is the room is filled with energy and excitement and it's growing. And so yeah. very, very exciting stuff. But please continue to tell us about it. But I just wanted to chime in my own excitement yes. about it. Well it's just a it, in some ways um, it's created a kind of public profile that ra has rallied a, a scholars around a, this and given them a, a sense of being part of a kind of informal community that together is trying to rethink all kinds of matters of Christian theology. And the key here is recognizing that it's not just a matter of kind of getting the Israel peace right. You know, it, 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 it Sometimes Christian theologians or, or, or Christians in general can think about that. I just, uh, our theology of Israel isn't quite right. Let's get that right and then we just move on. But uh, it's recognizing that that peace 
is so central to the, the fundamental reality of who Yeshua is that it, it, in a sense, calls for a rethinking of everything else. And uh, that's, you know, that's what the Society for Post-Supersessionist Theology is about. It's not just like thinking, uh, to, let's fine tune our theology of the Jewish people. It's really saying, how does this impact every everything else as a whole? And so, yeah, I'm I'm really uh, very excited about this and, and think that um, it has a, a, a tremendous uh, tremendous future. And the response has already been really exceptional. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I'm looking forward to the next uh, meeting and in, uh, in November. So that's going to be uh, it's going to be good. Hey. Um, I want to ask you, Dr. Kinzer, um, I'm, you know, just uh, about another very important development uh, in the area of, you know, the messianic things, you know, the messianic movement and and uh, more broadly messianic Jewish theology. Uh, so many things I'd like to discuss, but uh, I'd really regret it if I didn't ask you to say a, a few words uh, about a new, another new organization uh, that you have been centrally involved in launching. Uh, called Yachad B'Yeshua. Tell us a little bit about uh, Yachad B'Yeshua before we wrap up our time with you today. Yes, um, I have this um, really um, problematic tendency to start new organizations, and I'm <laughs> getting to an age where I I regret, I kind of regret this tendency uh, in terms of its impact on my own personal life, but. Uh, you know, I, I think it's also a calling from from Hashem. Yeah. Uh, yes, Yachad B'Yeshua uh, is a. I think it's something that's really a, 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 another groundbreaking uh, development, um, unlike anything that's ever really quite uh, been done before. Uh, it it's an attempt to bring together Messianic Jews with Jews in all of the different churches. Um, in in a kind of fellowship of mutual support, where we can bring our various strengths um, to bear and to help one another, and where we can respect the differences, where we we acknowledge that we don't all hold the same views on on everything, but but um, we we all recognize that uh, that our, our Jewish identity has profound theological significance. Um, at, that it hasn't in, in, in some way uh, been superseded by our faith in, in, in Yeshua, and that there needs to be a corporate expression, witness to Jewish life within the body of, of the Messiah. And uh, so this has only been going on now for, for a couple of years, um, but we, we, we already have about maybe 120, 130 members from various places around the world with uh, Really, some prominent figures um, in uh, from the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, um, from uh, the Baptist world. I mean, one of uh, my uh, one of the leaders uh, who works closely with me is a man by the name of Lee Spitzer, who had formerly ha uh, headed up um, a major Baptist denomination. Um, it, it's it's really been the response initially has really been. Remarkable. I think this is just very, very important. You know, like the Hebrew Christian movement began in the 19th century, and it was a movement of Jews who fundamentally made their home within the churches, but recognized that Jewish identity was important and they wanted to support one another in that. And then in the beginning of the 20th century, this thing called Messianic Judaism 
began to emerge of uh, Jews who not only believed in Jesus and thought Jewish identity was important, but who also recognized that the Torah remained uh, central for Jewish life um, and who were not ready to simply become part of the of the the world um, of the churches and who were more closely connected to Jewish tradition. But there was a falling out between those two and Messianic, that Messianic Judaism at the beginning of the 20th century was really in effect suppressed by the Hebrew Christian world. But then when Messianic Judaism emerged in the 1970s, um, it then tended to suppress and, and, and attempt to quash um, Hebrew Christianity, looking down on Jews within the churches. Uh, and, uh, you know, what we're really trying to do is to, is to, in some ways, build some new bridges across these divides, but then also to reach across this, uh, these other divides that have, had never even been contemplated series before, namely the, the Catholic Protestant divide mm -hmm. or the Catholic and or Eastern Orthodox Church divide and um, and the Protestant or me and Messianic Jewish worlds. And uh, again, uh, part of the purpose of this is there are hundreds of thousands of Jews within the churches. And right now they are simply um, asleep to their Jewish identity for the most part and simply becoming assimilated. And um, I think that part of the, the gospel message for us is the recovery and the salvation of Jewish souls mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, as, as Jews. Um, and I think that one of, that's one of the purposes of, of Yachad B'Yeshua is, um, is to recognize that we have a, a, of a mission to help um, Jews to find their way back to their to Jewish identity, to not dictate to them all exactly mm -hmm. how that's going to look for every one of them. Because, yeah. um, you know, even though we, we have convictions here about um, the role of the Torah for, for, for all Jews, the reality is everybody, li people's lives are complex and they, they come from a variety of different places and sure. God meets them in different ways. Um, the crucial thing, as I see it, is that they find their way back to Jewish identity um, as a central component of those, as in Luke's, Luke's terms, the customs of Israel, the, the national life of the Jewish people. And, and I think Yachad B'Yeshua is, is, is really a key aspect of, um, of this calling that we, that we have um, as Jewish believers in Yeshua, to find one another and support one another in a bigger way. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, uh, Dr. Kinzer. Um, I uh, at at the the I guess the one and only in person uh, Yachabi Yeshua. I mean the the inaugural meeting, and I know with COVID we've you know, had to push that back as far as additional in person meetings. It just I don't know how else to put it. it blew my mind to meet some of the people there. Um, you know, Presbyterians. You know, the Jewish Presbyterians, Jewish Catholics. Anglican, um, you know, Jewish, you know, Father Antoine Levy. I mean, just just wonderful people who are very committed to their own ecclesial traditions, uh, but to whom Jewish identity really matters. And they're just trying to sort that out within the reality that they find themselves and the calling they find themselves. And so that has been uh, a great uh, personal, um, you know, just that's something I've gotten out of it. Uh, although of course there's much more to it, but thanks for, uh, for giving us a quick rundown. Damien, I think you've got one more question then we're going to bring this thing home. I don't want to miss the opportunity to hear about the new book. 
with Rabbi Russ Resnick and Rabbi Dr. Mark Kinzer. The book is Besora, which we heard the good news uh, that you, you of course, you two co-authored. How can how can people get a copy of the book? Uh, the easiest way would be, uh, as with most things, uh, Amazon, uh, which you you know you can uh, just uh, look up Besora, B-E-S-O-R-A-H, or um, uh, Mark Kinzer or um, or Russ uh, Resnick, and 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 it'll uh, it'll get you there. Or you can order it directly from the publisher, which is Width and Stock, W-I-P-F, uh, and uh, with Width and Stock, and. Uh, I um I really love what uh, the the way this book came out uh you know I mean I wrote Jerusalem Crucified and it's a very uh it, it's I, my style is academic and the way I op- I, I think and 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 communicate mm-hmm. um c- at times is a bit challenging um for those who are not used to reading academic books um and Rabbi Russ read Jerusalem Crucified and he loved it but um he and he came to me and he said um, would you be open to my helping to develop um, a more popular, accessible, readable version of this um, that those who are non-scholars would be able to uh, to really get mm-hmm. into? Important. And I said, Rabbi Russ, I would just I would be so grateful if you would do this. And I don't want you just to help me to do this. I would like you to be a co-author. And in effect, what I asked him to do was just take the the fundamental concepts and and teaching the the biblical teaching of my book and then take it and write a book um in which he could the voice would be his where he tell he can tell his own stories of his own life and his own perspective um but but basically recasting the the that message of jerusalem crucified and i think he did a great job and that those who are don't consider themselves academics um uh, you know, that it's the way to start to, to get this message. So I, anyone who found that, uh, what we talked about, um, in this podcast, um, illuminating, uh, that's the place to start. Uh, I just highly recommend it. Rabbi Russ did a wonderful job. Yep. He sure did. Yeah. It's a, Thank it's a, you, Rabbi it's a, Russ. Yeah. We, we appreciate Rabbi Russ as well. Uh, and, and, uh, good. So thanks for encourage people to check out, uh, and to get a copy of Besora. So, Hey, Dr. Kinzer, we are, we are grateful for your your work, for your friendship. Uh, my hope is that you will keep going strong. I know that's our hope at First Fruit Design and Damien and uh, myself in particular, uh, because you're doing very, very important kingdom work. Uh, you are challenging prevailing narratives in, in ways that are that are making a difference. And so uh, thank you for what you're doing. Um, just, uh, you know, as for your, your career and calling and thank you for your time with us today. And uh, we look forward to more conversations with you in the future. And we'll pray that uh, Hashem gives you reprieve from starting new organizations. <laughs> <laughs> amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Kenzer. It's been a pleasure. Great to be with you today. Thank you so much. Great to be with you guys, too. Hey, Damien, uh, Dr. Mark Kinzer is a pretty amazing guy. I am, as I said uh, in our closing with him, I, I'm really grateful for his work. I, I'm not sure where Messianic Jewish theology and the Messianic movement in general would be without him. 
Yeah, it's funny. Role models in this day and age, rock stars, athletes. I have a rabbi uh, as a role model, Dr. Kinzer. You know, he's he, his responses, tenderhearted, humble presentation, though, of deep, radically different interpretations that are affecting having having a, a, a large effect on all of the different organizations that he is in the books he's writing. And he's embraced because of who and how he is. And I think that's so important. Yeah, I agree totally. And, you know, you use the word at the very beginning, luminary. Um, and I think that that is very appropriate for him. Mm -hmm. uh, he is a modern living uh, messianic luminary. Um, and I think that uh, hopefully he will, you know, keep uh, keep churning out great stuff. But uh, yeah. I think that uh, th that's a very appropriate term for him. Uh, and we're grateful for him. So, hey, what was uh, just specifically before we we land the plane here? What was a takeaway for you from today's conversation uh, with Dr. Kinzer? Well, it's always the he like I said in the podcast, he always brings an insight uh, at, at uh, several. But there's always something that I hadn't really given a lot of thought to. And of course, he did that for me and hopefully for all of our listeners um, in a lot of things. But I always am, am confronted with the importance of encouraging people to reevaluate, you know, mm. to, uh, to, to reconsider what they've always known and what they've always been taught and how scripture is interpret interpreted. Yeah. And we have, we have so many great relationships with pastors and church communities through First Roots of Zion. And we uphold on so many levels what the church does in the world. And yet it's interesting. Our mission at the same time is working hard alongside great people like Dr. Kinzer to expand those understandings. I'm, I'm always encouraged, you know, when he today making connections from Yeshayahu to Yeshua, from mm -hmm. Isaiah to Jesus and seeing the, 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 the overlay there, understanding a different perspective of the rich man and Lazarus, that it's not yeah. just about, you know, where you're going when you die. His yeah. connection was to Torah that he's making Luke. That's the only place that shows up is in Luke. And he's making a Torah connection out of it. And the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua as, as the foundation of the story of Jerusalem, that's so contrary to people's thinking. And so I, I love all of it. And I think really that book, Basora, if you, if you like this podcast, that's going to be a great place yep. to start. If you, if you love the academic stuff, I, I've read Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I can't even remember. You know what the book <laughs> is. All right. So I've read it. And if you love the theological stuff, that's a great thing too. So use, use all of the insights that Dr. Kinzer brings. And he did a great job for us today in bringing more of them. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all of that. I think he just in, in the books, uh, as well as even in our conversation today, he just does a masterful job of intertwining the gospel, the Jewish people, the city of Jerusalem, the Torah and Yeshua. I mean, in this just beautiful, how all those things are just wrapped together in this, uh, in this, in this indivisible sense uh, and I thought that was beautiful. I, beautiful. I thought also just again him underscoring the importance of Acts 15. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that we feel is is very important. Oh, yeah. um, that, that a lot flows to and from Acts 15. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, uh, there's a lot of important chapters uh, in the Bible, but that was a pivotal moment in which 
that, that, that he talks about extensively in his work, uh, Rabbi Kinzer, uh, just regarding uh, the importance of distinction uh, and differentiation that brings true unity within the kingdom and it protects uh, the, the beautiful diversity uh, that uh, that the kingdom of God entails, and so uh, I appreciated his uh, his point of emphasis there. Yep. Again, done with done with delicate consideration for the difficulties of the world of Messianic Judaism, Jews and Gentiles, one and Messiah, and what that what that really looks like. And out of respect, I want to clarify: the book is called Jerusalem Crucified, Jerusalem Risen. Um, you did it. All right, that was smooth. That. that was smooth. I like. It. All right. <laughs> Hey, Damien, um, again, thanks for filling in for Ruben. Again, we are glad that he's doing a lot better. He'll be back with us for the next episode, uh, but uh, glad you could be with us today. My pleasure. Looking forward uh, to Ruben being back. Indeed. Well, thanks for joining us on Messiah Podcast today. Shalom to everyone. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Messiah Podcast, where Jesus is Jewish and that changes everything. This podcast is an extension of Messiah Magazine available at messiahmagazine.org. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review along with a five-star rating wherever you're listening now. Today's podcast was hosted by myself, Ryan Lambert, along with Ruben Ramos. Our executive producer is Boaz Michael, and the editor-in-chief is Daniel Lancaster. This episode was directed and edited by Jeremy Schoenwald. Original music was written and performed by Joshua Aaron. And the show notes for Messiah Podcast were edited by Candy Bishop and are available at messiahpodcast.org. If you're interested in learning more about the Bible from a Messianic Jewish perspective, check out Torah Club which is an international network of small study groups who meet weekly to study the Bible together from a Messianic Jewish perspective. To start a club or join a club, go to torahclub.org. Until next time, shalom. Like the waters cover the sea